Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, part 12 of our series in the book of Philippians, Letters from Prison. Today's message is entitled, Shine Like Stars, where we get to look into a matter that probably all of us face, grumbling and complaining. Hey, just a reminder as well, in a couple of weeks we're going to be celebrating Easter and a special Easter service we're doing at the Greater Covington Center in downtown Covington. That morning we will do one combined service instead of our regular two services, and that service will take place at 1045 a.m. We've got lots of seating so you can bring friends and family, and the service will be all ages, so we don't have any specific child care, but um, you are free to bring your kids, and uh, we're going to have a good time. All right, well, that's about all i got to say about that. Let's head over to the talk. Shine like stars. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on the web, northshorevineyard.org. Today's scripture is Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children without children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. I'm going to kind of deal with this one backwards. I'm going to deal with the last thing Paul says here, and then we're going to work our way back up to grumbling and complaining, because I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan of the whole grumbling and complaining message. I'm a blogger. I've been blogging for six years now, and part of blogging is grumbling and complaining. So, you know, I feel like it's part of my gift. So uh, uh, we're we're going to put that off for just a minute. (laughs) Some people are called to teach and prophesy and hospitality. I'm called to complain. No. Um, Paul, he he says, uh, as you hold firmly to the word of life, then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. I've got two kids. Y'all normally don't see them at this service because they come to the second service when we have children's ministry. But the thing that, that probably gets me more excited than anything is those, those little glimmers of hope that you see with your children that they're starting to get it. Like all the stuff that you're doing as a parent is starting to pay off. You ever get those glimmers of hope sometime as a parent? Probably not enough. Occasionally you see them sharing their toys without being asked to. Occasionally brothers and sisters, you know, I didn't grow up with brothers and sisters, so I'm, I'm kind of new to this whole world, but occasionally Tevia will do something nice to her brother. And I'm like, wow, that was cool. It doesn't happen much, but uh, it, it's certainly cool when it happens. And, and ideally, everything that we're doing with parents is to, to prepare our kids that hopefully when we kick them out the door at 18 or shortly thereafter, uh, hopefully, <laughs> no, 20, 30, okay. <laughs> Man, when I was 18, man, I, 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 was, I was ready to get out, I, but that was just me. Uh, but hopefully when, when, when our kids go off into the, the cruel world out there, they will have what it takes because we haven't labored in vain. That's kind of what Paul's getting at here. He's like, 
man, all these letters I'm writing, all the stuff that I've done for the church, all the correspondence, let that not be in vain. I hope someday when we stand before Jesus, uh, Jesus will say, wow, they really did get it. They, they, not, not like he'll be surprised, but uh, uh, he'll say, yeah, it, it was not in vain. You weren't just running your mouth. You weren't just doing mindless stuff, even though it might have seemed like it sometimes. No, they really got it. So that's kind of where Paul goes with all this stuff. Now, back up to the first part of this passage that I was avoiding. That's the thing about preaching through an entire book of the Bible is you're kind of forced to deal with scriptures that you don't want to deal with, right? Anybody a fan on dealing with grumbling and complaining? I'm, see, I'm starting to complain about that. I don't want to read it, no. Uh, <laughs> We, we live in a culture of complaining, don't we? Have you noticed that? I mean, it's hard to even notice because it's the water in which we swim. Do you remember a time when you would watch the evening news and they just had one person who told you the news? Remember that? Now, when you turn on CNN or MSNBC or Fox, they have one person that tells the news and then two to five or six people that complain about the news, right? Have you noticed that? That's kind of... That's, that, we call that news now. So it's, it's, it's like 10% news and 90% complaining and accusing and arguing about said news. Uh, our complaining, I think it's really gotten really bad with, with the, or much more noticeable with the uh, progress in technology. We, you know, used to, 10 years ago, if I wanted to complain, I, I would talk to a small group of people. And that's about as far as it would go. Nowadays, if I, <laughs> if I want to complain, I have an audience that I can reach from around the world. I've got hundreds of Facebook friends. Not that I've been on Facebook lately. I'm still doing good with that. Uh, I've got followers on Twitter. I've got a blog. Now if I have an issue with something, I can immediately let you know. Like, for instance, you could go to Applebee's after church today. And back in the old days... Ten years ago, you went to Applebee's, you had bad service. You might tell some people like, man, I can't believe how bad the service is at Applebee's. Now, before you even walk outside the restaurant, pull up Twitter and Applebee's and Covington, man, I saw, you know, they, they just lousy service. If you wanted to take it further, you might even take a picture of the, the roach you saw. I'm not saying Applebee's has roaches, okay? I, I'm not trying to slander them. They're probably perfectly good. Uh, but if, if you saw a roach, you might take a picture of that. Or if you saw somebody having an attitude, you might video it. And that video might go online. And, and corporations are really having to come to terms with this, that something can go viral and all of a sudden hit millions of people. And it's not something that was produced by Steven Spielberg or news outlets. It's just everyday people with cell phones and cell phone cameras. I think viral is a good word to describe complaining. You think so? Have you ever, have you ever been in a, in a place where you were perfectly happy and then you get around a group of people and it only takes one or two people with this virus of complaining and within a few minutes, you're complaining. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like I'm perfectly content with, with everything in my life and then all of a sudden people start, ah, do you hear about the government or do you hear about this? Or man, my mom or my sister or my neighbor or this guy or that or I can't believe. And you're like, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to stop using any more examples, but um, it happens. And sometimes it happens because I'm the guy walking in 
with the complaining virus. It's contagious, highly contagious, more contagious than the common cold, and it spreads quickly. Paul treats it as a sin. We like to think of the sins as being kind of the Ten Commandments. Oh, yeah, I don't steal. I don't lie. You know, don't cheat on my wife. Okay, but, but, but Paul is saying grumbling, complaining. It, it's a sin. Say that with me. It's a sin. It's a sin. sin. Like, it's destruct. What what does sin do? Sin corrupts the image of God within us. Sin fights against the connecting with God and connecting with others. It destroys relationships. When you're in that place of complaining, it it begins to, to overthrow the purposes of God. You know, I went to this cool meeting two weeks ago up in Minnesota, and uh, it was a gathering of, of a bunch of different, I, I was kind of flattered they invited me, it was called, you know, Young Leaders, so I'm glad I'm still considered a young leader, but um, it was a bunch of different youngish leaders <laughs> in the vineyard, and we were getting together to kind of talk about some of the issues that the vineyard movement is facing in the next 10 years, and uh, about a week before I went there, I got an email from the guy who was putting it on. He says, come prepared with your questions. Think about some things you'd like to discuss. But he said, we got one rule. And that one rule is no complaining. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I've never been to a meeting where that was the only rule. But I got to tell you, after two days of being in this meeting, we actually accomplished some stuff. We actually, you know, we, we actually ended up getting around to the problems, but we got to them from a redemptive productive place. I've been in meetings before. You ever been in a meeting where complainers take over and you walk out five or six hours later and it, it, it feels like you've been in there forever. You feel beat up, discouraged. You don't want to go back to another meeting ever. That wasn't the case. No complaining. Simply by enforcing that rule, we actually got a lot done. I want to look at a few things which I, I call in here the downside of, the downside of complaining. The first is romanticizing the past. Ah, remember the good old days. Remember the good old days. When we start complaining, we romanticize the past. I want to look at a a story. One thing that I mentioned last week with this little bit about working out your salvation in fear and trembling, that was kind of a a tie-in to the Old Testament kind of encounters that people had with with God. I think that was last week. I'm losing my mind lately. Okay, yeah, it was last week. Somebody was listening. Um, That was a tie-in back to Old Testament kind of stuff when people would encounter God. It was the same language. Now, this fear and, I mean, this grumbling and complaining, arguing, this is another tie back into Israel's history. And this kind of ties back into the Exodus story. There was a lot of complaining going on with the Israel people, uh, the children of Israel. Exodus 15, 1 through 3 says this, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin. Don't go to the desert of sin, young people. (laughs) Stay away. Um, And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they've, they've basically, God set them free two and a half months before this. So they haven't been out in the desert too long. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, let's put this into perspective. Most Bible scholars believe that the number of people that came out of Egypt, the children of Israel, it was like about a million people. Close to one point, you know, some estimates going up to like 1.5 million. That's 
the greater New Orleans area, right? So that's New Orleans, Kenner, Metairie, the North Shore. Imagine all of us in one, of, in one accord at one time in the desert complaining and grumbling. Imagine all that grumbling and complaining being directed at two people. How would you like to be Moses and Aaron? Dude, not fun. And this is what they said. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There in Egypt we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Sounds dramatic, huh? It sounds like my kids in the back of the car on a long trip. (laughs) Why didn't you just kill us? Oh, But they're romanticizing the past, aren't they? What are they saying? They're saying, oh, remember pots of meat? Pots of meat. Oh, it was so good. Egypt was like this big golden corral buffet with with meat pots. You you listen to their talking here. It's just like all we did in Egypt was hang around these pots of meat and just eat meat out of pots. Meat pots. That's what I want for my birthday. A meat pot. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we have potted meat. Hopefully they weren't, hopefully they weren't longing for that. Uh, so they, they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron, but they're, they're very much romanticizing the past. Okay, maybe they did have some pots of meat occasionally. I doubt it was probably like this all-you-can-eat buffet of meat all the time. Okay, Maybe, maybe they had some pots of meat, but what else did they have? They had 400 years of slavery. They were looked down upon as second-class citizens. The Egyptians didn't even look at the Hebrew people as, I mean, they were treated like dogs. And, and to get those pots of meat, they had to work, you know, in the Egyptian desert hour after hour with a guy cracking a whip at your back. There was no chance that your lot in life was ever going to improve. You were a slave just like your dad, just like your grandfather, just like your great-grandfather. There was no hope of ever breaking the cycle. But yet, the children of Israel in the wilderness, not too far into the end, oh man, why didn't God just kill us back there? At least back there in Egypt, we had meat pots. Oh. Remember the good old days. Remember the good old days, man, when we just ate meat around these pots. That was living. When we start complaining, we romanticize the past. I know, I mean, being married, having kids, it's tough. Your life changes. Before you're married, you can do whatever you want. You you hear of a concert at the last minute at the House of Blues, so what if it starts at midnight on a Tuesday night? I'm there. When you got a spouse and kids, it's not so easy to do that. And a lot of people get really bummed out about that. I think everybody goes through some kind of like, ah, I wish I had the freedom that I used to have. And I, I, I've known some, some ladies over the years who, especially when they, you know, there are multiple kids in the mix, they, they kind of hit this point where, like, man... I, this isn't what I signed up for, man. I, I remember when I used to be able to go out to a dance club and dance and have fun and the music's playing. And, and, and it was just so fun hanging out with my friends. And I actually, I've known a few people who, they, they, they 
romanticize the past so much that they finally, I'm going out to a club and I'm going dancing only to find out that it's a little different than it was 10 years ago (laughs) when you were a freshman in college and you weren't married. And and all of a sudden they they go back out there and they realize, wow, this, like, like, it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't do it for me. What have they done? They've been complaining, and they've romanticized the past. They've made it into something that it wasn't. It's pots of meat. No, it was slavery. It wasn't all that fun. That's what we do when we start complaining. Secondly, when we complain, we become the victim. All of a sudden, all of a sudden it's, it's the government's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's where I was born. It's, it, it's, it's my lot in life. Everybody else is responsible for, for my situation. And you know what? As soon as you become the victim, the, the bad thing about becoming the victim, now I, I do believe that people do get victimized in our world, but the second you take on the attitude, a, a victim mentality, you empower that thing and you stop doing anything that will get you out of that. Once you become a victim, everybody else is responsible for you, and, and now you're at the whims of, of, of the world. Maybe things will work out, but you know, even if it does work out, you're still going to be the victim, and you're still not going to be happy because you're complaining. When we become the victims, we stop doing anything redemptive in our lives that will actually help our situation. The third thing is that complaining minimizes God and magnifies problems. You know what we do here in worship? I've said this on numerous occasions, but what we're doing this morning, we start off, glory to the king. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. All I have is you, Jesus. What are we doing? We are magnifying God. There are many mornings where I come in here, and I got to tell you, I need, I need to worship. I need to readjust my thinking. I need to, to put things back into perspective and say, no, what have I in this life but the love of Jesus Christ? He's it. He's all I have. What am I doing? I'm magnifying God. I'm refocusing my life on God. Jesus is back at the center. He's back on, I mean, not like he left the throne, but I'm seeing him on the throne again. That's magnifying God. But what do we do when we complain? It's kind of like inverted worship. We are, the same thing we do in worship with God, we start doing with our situations. You ever done that before? Oh, nobody in here, just me. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you, you take a situation, and it could be a financial situation, a, a, a relational situation, sickness, uh, employment, whatever, you name it, whatever situation, and, and we can magnify that thing like crazy, and then all of a sudden, it gets a life of its own. It becomes a God. Actually, you look at Paul, if you look in Second Corinthians Paul actually references the Exodus story there in talking about grumbling and complaining, but he also talks in those same verses about idolatry. And really, that's what complaining does. It, it creates an idol out of our problems. We start looking at these problems as if they rule our lives, as if they're God, as if they have power. It's inverted worship. Because the moment I start looking at all these problems and making them big, then I'm minimizing God. All of a sudden, God's not powerful enough to move this mountain. God can't do this. I'm on my own. I can't trust God. He's, he's, I'm not in his care. And so our circumstances begin to have incredible power over us. Again, another downside of complaining. 
one thing I want to get at here is that I think most of us, we don't complain when things are going good, right? Hopefully, unless you've just really got a chronic case of complaining. Uh, when things are going great, when all the bills are paid, when everything's good with the wife and the kids and got that bonus at the job, hey, we don't complain. Everything's smooth sailing. It's when we step into hard times, right? That's when we complain. It's when you step, kind of like the children of Israel, when you step into the wilderness, when you hit those bumps in the road, when all of a sudden you feel like you're praying and God's not hearing you. You, feel, you, ever, you ever like go to pray and you're like, man, where is God? I feel like I'm alone here. I feel like I'm really getting taken down by stuff and I don't even know where God is. When we go into the wilderness... We have a real big t- temptation to forget that God's there, to forget that God's actually with us. But God is at work in our lives, even in the wilderness. God's at work. I mean, I'd, I'd say probably more times than not, I learn more in the wilderness than I ever learn when things are going good. I don't know. It may just be me. But uh, Deuteronomy 8, God is speaking to the children of Israel. He says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, this bread from heaven that would appear on the ground every day, uh, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. So that last verse, God's saying, look, I led you through the wilderness. I humbled you. I, I put you in situations where you were hungry, where you were tested, where it was hard. But, but understand, I'm doing this the same way that a father disciplines his son. I'm doing it because I love you, and I want to see you formed In God's image, I want to see transformation take place. See, what we learn in the wilderness is that God is bigger than bread. (laughs) That that our physical needs, God wants to take care of them, but, but He's behind them. He meets those needs. Yeah, he may meet it through our job, or, but but God is actually, our lives are actually in his hands, and our physical needs are in his hands. The second thing is that in the wilderness, God is breaking our reliance on Egypt. You realize that the children of Israel, they had 400 years of slavery. Do you, do you realize how that would impact your psychology as a culture? I mean, I mean we live in America, and, and we all just kind of grow up thinking you can do whatever you want to do with a little hard work, a little elbow grease. The, the world is open to you. Why do we think that? Because we've grown up in generation after generation of, of people who've lived in freedom and had immense wealth and immense opportunities. Children of Israel, they grew up 400 years of slavery. Their mindset, the ingrained thoughts in their, their psychology was that their well-being was tied to the empire, to Egypt. What God was teaching them by having to eat, you know, for them having to get manna every day, God was teaching them that, that your, your well-being, your sustenance, your provision is not tied to the empire. It's tied to your relationship with me. How does this relate to Philippi? Well, Philippi, that church, you know, it, when Paul started that church down by the river outside of Philippi with a group of women who were praying, 
God started that church a few years earlier, it was a lot easier to follow Jesus. They could have this underground Bible study and talk about Jesus, and, and they weren't on anybody's radar, you know? It's just a small group. It's just a couple of home groups. But by the time Paul is writing this letter, there's this, you ever heard of this nut job named Nero? If you look up Roman emperors, Nero was, he was just psychotic, crazy, and he hated Christians. I mean, just evil. He's definitely an antichrist guy. And for the Philippians at that time, it had gone from being easy to be a follower to Jesus to all of a sudden, God, where are you? <laughs> when we first started following you, it was so easy. I remember when we used to gather in the home of so-and-so in Philippi, and, and, and we would have brownies, and we'd pray for each other, and we'd talk about the letters that Paul had sent us. But, but now, we got this guy Nero. Now, now saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, it's, it's getting us into trouble. Now, now we... We think we might even face the same fate that Paul is facing. You know, for them to be a Christian, it might mean that they'd end up in jail or dead. And when we get in those situations, we ask, God, where are you? Where are you? I thought, I thought following you was going to make life easier. <laughs> I thought with Jesus on my side, like, like all of a sudden problems just are, are gone. And, and it seems like the opposite is true. You know, the, weird, the wilderness, it's a place where we find God's miraculous provision if we don't, you know, start grumbling and complaining. I, I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan of going through trials, you know? It's not my favorite. I'm not a big fan of sickness or financial hardship or anything like that, but... If you want to see miracles, you have to be in places sometimes where miracles can happen, <laughs> right? I think the way we are, we, we want to see God show up in amazing ways, but we insulate ourselves from any possibility of God ever having to show up. We make sure all our bases are covered and, and God doesn't have to show up. But, but, but there are times when God has come through in amazing ways in my life. And it's, it's been, I mean, there's stretches of my life where I didn't have enough money. It's not that I wasn't trying to work. I was working, and all the jobs dried up. There's people in this church. You're like that. You're, you're just in that place. I was talking to a guy the other day that goes to our church, and his mom's been sick, and he's been going down to New Orleans for a month and spending the night there at the hospital with her. And, and the other day, he said, man, I didn't have enough gas to, to get home. And he has, he's been having very little work for the last eight or ten months, very little. And the next day, he gets a call from his brother. This, he'd been trying to sell a piece of property in Mississippi for years. You know, he'd forgot about it. Wasn't even on the radar. His brother calls up and says, hey, uh, we sold the property. You got $10,000. And he's like, what? <laughs> he, he was in a place. He was in the wilderness. It's been tough to follow God. It's been tough to keep on going without complaining, but he wasn't complaining. He was just going after, but I honestly, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. God provides for him. I've seen that over and over in my life. There, there are times where, I mean, I've mentioned this on occasions that there's times when I look back at my tax return for a year and I'm like, wow, this is several thousand dollars, but below the poverty line. And yet, 
yeah, we made it. And we didn't suffer. I mean, we actually, God took care of us. I love what God says here. He says, those 40 years in the wilderness, I gave you manna every day, and you have the same clothes on. So that'd be the equivalent of us showing up to church today with clothes from late 60s, early 70s. And, and we've been wearing them all these years. And, and now they're back in style one more time. And, uh, <laughs> but God was actually defying the laws of physics with them. Their stuff was not deteriorating or breaking down. They were wearing the same clothes for 40 years the same shoes, and he was providing for him. And I've seen that time and time again in my own life when it just looks like all hope is lost. Like, I, I can't, I don't know how we're going to get through this, God. But if, if I can keep from just complaining and grumbling and, and just say, God, you, you, you are large and in charge, and, and I trust you, God comes in. Sometimes he makes all our stuff last longer. <laughs> Sometimes I get to a month and I was like, I don't even know how we covered all our bills, but somehow this little bit of money we had made it. Sometimes he comes in with provision from other places. There's been many times. But the wilderness, whatever wilderness you're facing, understand that God's not left you alone. He's actually leading you through the wilderness. The wilderness is a part of his process in your life. The wilderness was something they had to go through to get to the promised land. I think that that's probably the biggest thing is we, we just keep asking ourselves when we hit these things, God, where are you? You ever ask that question? You probably, probably, I know Dana and I, we've probably asked that question once or, once or twice a month. <laughs> God, where are you? I'm facing this, this relational breakdown with my spouse. God, where are you? My job, my work is dried up. God, where are you? I'm facing, my loved one's got cancer. God, where are you? I think religion wants to give us these kind of pat answers that, you know, that, that we just need to try harder, just believe more, whatever. I, I don't think that's what God's getting at here. One thing I love is looking at, at David. The difference, you know, David, if you read the Psalms, a lot of times they sound like complaining. <laughs> I got that God, where are you question from, from David. David was known as a man after God's own heart, but a lot of what he does, it looks like complaining, but there's a difference. If you look at the Psalms, God frequently asks, God, where are you? My enemies are coming against me. My own familiar friend, the guy who, I, who eats with me, he's, he's betrayed me. I've got people out there saying, look at everything happening to David. Where's his God? I mean, they can't even see you. God, a little help? <laughs> but what's interesting with David, number one, he's not complaining to other people. He's talking to God. And secondly, David's always rooted in an attitude of worship. If you get to the end of most of the Psalms, they say, God, I will yet praise you. <laughs> I, I'm going to worship you in the land of the living. This, this thing isn't going to kill me. I'm not going to die here. You still got my hand. And sometimes we just got to say that. We got to say, God, look, this feels like a wilderness. It feels like I'm out here and you're not even with me at all. It feels like I'm all alone in this. But God, I know even in the midst of this, you're with me. Even in the midst of this great trial, even in the midst of this wilderness, you are here. 
you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we, get, uh, we get told a lot in Christianity all the things that we need to do to be a Christian. Um, it's interesting in these verses, Paul, Paul doesn't tell us anything to do. He just says, stop doing this. And if you just stop doing this, you're going to shine like a star. That's pretty cool, huh? Like, if you just stop complaining and grumbling, it's going to be such a different way than people in your world live that you're going to stand out. I mean, we've got so much complaining in our world. The, 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 the picture Paul uses is a, you'll shine like stars. What's that picture? Well, it's a picture of contrast. The stars, they're not confused with the black space all around them, are they? The stars stand out. Up until recently, I think Floyd even knows how to do this. You can chart the course by the stars if you're sailing. People would use the stars for direction. I think in the same way of of our lives as Christians, when we give up complaining and grumbling, when we refuse to participate in that, even when we got other people who are trying to draw us into it, when we say, no, I'm not going to do that, we shine like stars, and people begin to reorient their lives around the truth of God. And even without saying a word, Paul's not talking about sharing your faith with other people. He's just talking about shutting up and not complaining. Just by doing that, people begin to see something of God. Mary, would it be too hard to, to, to sing a, that, that song you sang earlier? I'm, I'm, if it was, you wouldn't complain about it, I'm sure, right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just want us to I want us to reorient ourselves this morning I just want to close with, with singing the song that Mary sang earlier all I have I just want you to reflect for a few minutes you don't even have to sing along but do any of you know of any areas in your life right now where you may just be consumed with complaining and grumbling anyone oh we got we got someone honest okay two two three three honest four okay we got a few honest people uh, <laughs> I just want us to reflect right now. And I, I, honestly, as much as I don't like to think of it this way, because I'm a habitual complainer myself, Paul calls it sin. It, it's a sin here. This isn't like, I want the complaining version of Christianity. I want that part of Christianity where I can grumble. I, that, that's the package I want. No, this stuff, it really is. It's toxic to your soul, and it's toxic to Christianity. I tell you, I've seen many a churches taken down by just two or three people who complain. A lot of times they like to call it intercession and praying for other people. But it's gossip and it's complaining and it's grumbling. I just want us to reflect for a moment. Just ask God to show you. God, where, where, where is this true about me today? And then I just want us to close by kind of joining Mary and, and singing uh, reorienting our lives around God and, and just being thankful once again for who He is. Why don't you sing the song? We'll reflect for a moment and then we'll we'll join you. Father, open our eyes. Lord, show us where this is true, God. Give us the grace to turn. the love 
broken world will be remade and only your truth will remain Jesus all I have is you you're the your hands kind of out in front of you and, and, and I want you to symbolically just make a fist in both hands and these, these are the, the things that you're complaining about right now these are the things that you are holding on to tightly your strong opinions your accusations, your judgments the way you've become a victim because of other people because of other things other events and right now I just want you to as we sing through this chorus one more time I just want you to open up your hands and say God I, I trust you I let these things go as an act of worship as an act of my will God all I have is you Jesus, all I have is you. You're the hope I'm holding to. I might weep, but still my faith rests in you. 
It's your hand that holds my life and your love this morning God we just ask for your grace your help to just give up on grumbling and complaining and arguing God that we could just let that go or that we could shine like stars to those around us that they could see who you are just because we're keeping our mouths shut sometimes Lord God, we really need help in here. We really need help. God, we trust that, that whatever wilderness it may seem that we're walking through, God, we trust today that you are with us and you're leading us through this. God, give us eyes to see you in the midst of this. Give us ears to hear what you're saying, God, because you truly are here. God, let our hearts be open. Our lives be open to your miraculous provision in this time, God. We trust you, God. Your hand holds our lives, God. And Lord, we hold on to you today, God. We release complaining and we hold on to you, our Heavenly Father, who takes care of us. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. Let your praise be upon our lips this week and not complaining. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.